Hello and welcome to The Fandamentalist, the fandom podcast investigating all aspects of geeky media. Sorry, did I hit my head and wake up in patriarchal bullshit land? Don't put me in charge! It certainly worries me to make self-defeating mistakes out of fear of appearing weak. You were right. We are from different worlds. That is a failing indeed, but I cannot laugh at it. Welcome to the I Disappoint Dad Club. The theme song you just heard is Good Riddance by R. Sonar. S-O-N-O-R, available on the Free Music Archive. My name is Kylie, and here with me are Gretchen. Hello. And Julia. Hi. I'm eating a grapefruit. You're, yep, it's heart healthy, and mm-hmm. the season for it. Fun fact, when my grandfather <laughs> used to live uh, by Tampa, he was in he was in Clearwater, Florida, he'd send us <laughs> up a crate of grapefruits and oranges every year, and we'd look forward to it. I just hope don't want to shove him. Anyway, citrus aside, uh, even overripe citrus, the three of us write for thefandamentals.com for fundamentally sound fandom analysis. You can check out our website for all sorts of geeky reviews and analysis pieces, as one might expect. Breaking news, uh, fun things, podcasts, yep, mm-hmm, including this podcast, <laughs> where we talk about general geeky media stuff. Uh, if you missed our last episode, please check it out. We had two guests on, Whitney and Apple, who we very much want to thank for having joined us to talk about Black Panther. Yay. That was a lot of fun. It was so much fun. Yeah, so this episode's going to be a little less uh, siloed in its focus, let's say, a little more broad. Uh, unfortunately, in- inspired by the fact that the very famous physicist Stephen Hawking died on uh march 14th on pi i mean day. you say unfortunately the fact that he lived to be 76 is kind of a science oh, yeah. miracle in itself right he was supposed <laughs> to die like 40 years ago yeah oh yeah and he's 76 and obviously a very fulfilling life also yeah. he's like a really funny dude since he passed people have been sharing like favorite quotes from him mm-hmm. there's one where uh, john oliver is asking him about alternate universes and he's like oh is there a universe you know in which i'm smarter than you and stephen hawking's like yeah there's also a universe where you're funny oh <laughs> <John great>. Oliver. <laughs> but it's kind of cool he was born on the date of i believe isaac newton's death and he mm-hmm. died on einstein's birthday so kind of you know when isaac's birthday is right hmm you know when Isaac Newton's birthday is, though. I d- don't. It's Christmas. Is it Mole Day? Christmas. Oh, so you call it no Isaac idea. Newton's birthday? And I don't like. There's like atheists always make jokes about it, and they like do this whole thing where you think they're talking about Jesus, but they're actually talking about Isaac Newton, and it's funny. Yeah. Oh my god! Did you see the picture that Ricky Gervais posted where he wrote "atheist" across his chest, and he was like strung up against his mic stand with a wire, as if he's being persecuted like Jesus was on the cross for being an atheist. And it's like the most tone-deaf thing I think anyone could do ever. Like, uh, is it more tone-deaf than that gun owner story of David thing? Well, okay. I guess we don't need Second a the ranking of tone-deafness. <laughs> the point is, Ricky Gervais is dumb. Stephen Hawking is not. So we mm-hmm. actually wanted to dedicate an episode to science. We, we kind of like science. Yeah, and so did Stephen Hawking, and he also liked science and media. He had a cameo on Star Trek The Next Generation. I knew you would have these facts for us. Yeah, he was playing poker with Data. Yeah, uh, fun fact, I have a scientific background. I have an engineering degree. I was the math and science kid, mm-hmm. and then Julia taught me how to read books, <laughs> and that's how I'm here now. She's like, hey, do you know what a theme is? I was like, no, my my public education failed me. Uh, but yeah, so we just want to dedicate an episode to portrayals of science and media. Uh, good portrayals, bad portrayals. And then for our fun segment, we're going to talk about Gretchen's favorite uh, use of science in the form of doomsday devices, because <laughs> she loves them so, so much. But before that, we are going to jump into, as we do, some fandom news. So I guess let's just get the you know, revival reboot news out of the way with because Mm. there's always something. And in this case, it's Clarissa Explains It All may have a revival. Sure. Because. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Um, So yeah, there's been a a lot of um, trailer releases. Uh, One 
uh, okay, so Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald <sighs> is in theaters now. <sighs> Which, Julia, you're a huge Harry Potter fan. Are you excited? I mean, I was a Harry Potter fan. The thing happened to me where, like, you know, people were pointing out how it's not good, and now I kind of agree. It was devastating. Um, yeah, because it's just not age. It's aging like a patch of rotten pumpkins. What's our- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I can't say I'm very excited about this movie. I mean, I'm excited about, like, Dumbledore. He looks good, but... Did you see the first Fantastic Beasts? I, I did. With the face melty Johnny Depp, yeah. Did you like that? No. <laughs> I mean, it was so straight. I mean, like, there wasn't much to it, really. I mean, like, you know, in terms of in terms of the story, there, there wasn't really much to talk about. And the whole thing where, like, they summarily execute people by making them look like a puddle or something, like... Jesus Christ. That was a little <clears throat> odd. Well, at least there's, like... I don't know, the crimes of Grindelwald sounds like there's a story to tell there, I guess. Yeah. But um, if you want to see, like, a much better movie, there's <laughs> A Wrinkle in Time in theaters right now. It's such a good movie. Oh, my Is gosh. It? I loved I it. it. I've been yeah. trying to drag my son to the movies, but he's like, hasn't been interested. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, I'll get you popcorn and Froyo. And he's like, nah. <laughs> I unfortunately won't have time for the next two weekends, but I'm considering, I'm in Chicago for Passover and I'm considering, um, making Griffin go with me. I yeah, think he totally. wants to go anyway. But Gretchen sent me a really interesting, what was it? An article? A tweet? About it was how a, like a Facebook post. Someone was, yes. um, writing like their review of A Wrinkle in Time. It was really, really good. It's one of the best ones I've read because so many of the reviews are, <laughs> um, are written by like, um, <laughs> old white guys who are what? like old white guys dominate the right. media what are you like talking well this is a, it's a kids movie it's too much of a kids movie i'm like oh Isn't gee it a kids movie though the p <laughs> like the 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 kids movie that's rated pg that was based off of a beloved children's book is too much of a kids movie what like <laughs> shut up i don't <laughs> understand why there's all this pressure on a wrinkle in time to like perform as well as black panther in the box office like do people know what a kids movie is and what well, the it's because it has is? black people in it so it's gotta be just like all good. black people movies have to be like huge hits of the box office now well, what black i like about the was. facebook Makes post sense. that gretchen and i were talking about is that it talks about how like because it's a kids movie mm-hmm. it's not particularly like plot first it's more about messaging and themes and stuff right and the the plot's there but yep. It's not like it's not driven by plot in the way that you know something like the first Avengers was pretty much all plot, right? When right. you think about it, right? Like a a huge part of it is about like self love and like being the hope, like being hope, like embodying hope so that the world can change. And people are like, it's too touchy feely, and I'm like, yeah, that's too childish. We shouldn't have Whatever. any hope. We should only no. have cynicism. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's anxiety. very much the like grim, dark is realistic and adult, and yeah. being hopeful is childish and dumb, which is which is itself a childish and dumb attitude. <laughs> yeah, like why be aspirational about anything? No. Um, sp- speaking of Avengers, though, the Infinity War trailer is out, and people are like excited. I guess. Uh, I, know, I, po- have, I don't have energy for Marvel anymore. I don't have energy for that many superheroes in a single movie. Like, how are you supposed to, oh like, my God. Yeah. like, pay like, attention s- to what anyone is doing? Have you guys seen the poster for it? Yes. There's so many. People. It's the most overcrowded thing I think I've ever seen. It yep. looks like Magic Eye. It's horrible. <laughs> I can't believe someone designed this like a professional. And they're like, mm-hmm. yep, nailed it. Let's just keep shoving more faces onto this poster. I, I kind of find the whole, like, kind of overarching plotline of the Marvel Cinematic Universe a little just forced and exhausting. And apparently this like this is where it's all been leading to. Yeah. And, well I and- um after Black Panther I was like so hype on that movie that I was considering going back and rewatching. Like I probably still will at some point. Uh Civil War and Ragnarok at least. I haven't watched anything since Ultron. I don't think I'm gonna go back and watch Ant-Man. I'm sorry. I'm all red. But then I like, there was this mild spoiler about Infinity War that uh, Scarlett Johansson, what's her face, Black Widow, is in a romance with Bruce Banner still. Oh. And my interest just tanked uh, in all of it. Yep. 
I don't, I don't, I still don't understand why that's a thing. Speaking of things that you don't understand oh are still a thing, what other trailer was released, Gretchen? So, the trailer for season five of The Hundred was released this week, and I watched it, and I wrote a write-up about it, and my reaction was like, okay, so you're redoing the first three seasons of the show. Good job, guys. Like, do you have no creativity? I, well, I don't know why they're the even doing this season. right? Sense. Huh? Those were the better seasons, right? Right, right. It very much feels like they're like, oh, people used to like us when, like, in the first three seasons of the show, so why don't we just do them over again? <laughs> like, oh my god. You're only five seasons into a show. Like, take some time before you start recycling old plots. If but, they're gonna do, like, a Klexa 2.0, this time without the stray bullet. Right. Well, like, I, I would not be surprised if... Like, I have a feeling, I don't know, maybe Clarktavia is going to be a thing. Oh my god, seriously? I was just kidding. No, but like, <laughs> okay, so like, Octavia, like, in the trailer has a couple of lines that, like, Lexa said. Like, she literally what? says, like, love is weakness. I was like, oh, like, Lexa did in season two. <laughs> is this going to be a thing? I mean, like, Octavia is, like, the leader of the grounders now. Like, the bunker oh my grounders. God. Like, are you really, are you going to do Clarktavia? I <laughs> Okay. I mean, you can lampshade it, it, but that would literally make it all better. Like, Clark can be all like, hey, you're just like Lexa. And then all the problems will disappear because you (sighs) blame it. People will like them again. Mm. Except not. Except that everyone that I know that I've talked to about it is just rolling their eyes. So, (laughs) you know. Gretchen is going to be covering that for us again, uh, as, as she's done the past two years. Oh my gosh. They're, they're like, I love sidelining the hundred just because of your reviews and like write ups, because they're so just. <laughs> I have <laughs> I have zero emotional investment, so it's just pure salt. And yeah, sarcasm. and it's it's glorious. It really is. Oh, well, thank um, you. All right, moving on a little bit. Uh, this is still Marvel cinematic universe we just took a quick break but don't worry there's always more marvel news oh my gosh uh lashana lynch is replacing dewana wise in captain marvel so i'm sure she'll do a good job yeah uh (laughs) captain marvel movie will be nice i'm glad it exists finally they're making a female-led marvel movie Mm. yeah i don't know what else to say about it uh yeah hopefully it will be good because yeah. if it's not, that will mean that they'll never make one ever again. Right. Because that's how it works. Yeah. At least for Marvel. Uh, mm. More Marvel. Uh, the Marvel TV universe, Luke Cage Season 2's villain, is going to be played by Annabella Skiora, uh, who I've never seen in anything, but she, she looks like she'd be a good villain. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know anything about this other than, like, yay. Yeah. I I'm- like female antagonists. Yes. Yeah, and then they'll probably do a good job. Yeah. Um, news I'm excited yeah, about I'm so excited. on Netflix. Fuller House gets new showrunners. It's going to be uh, Steve Baldakowski and Brian Behar. Uh, forgive me if I'm pronouncing that wrong. They're replace- pre- replacing Jeff Franklin, who apparently behind the scenes was verbally abusive to his staff. Oh, yikes. And inappropriate in the writer's room, which I can't think of a weirder setting than the Fuller House writer's room for someone to be verbally abusive? <laughs> what are they doing that's getting him so upset, you know? It's Fuller House. I don't know, maybe um, they made funny jokes. But Steve and Brian, who are replacing him, have like worked on a number of other bad family sitcoms, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> oh, so you can expect more of the same. I mean, any shakeup is good shakeup. Like, it can't get worse, I'll tell you that. Hmm. I can't believe you said that. D&D takeover of Fuller House. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Do it. Write it up. <laughs> oh man. Oh, that will be my piece for Wednesday, Shira. D&D. <laughs> <laughs> D&D do Fuller House. I actually want to continue Do it. <laughs> Alright, uh, moving on because we're running low on, on news time. Reese Witherspoon and Carrie Washington are producing and starring in a limited TV series based on the Little Fires Everywhere book. I have no idea what that book is. Yeah. Thank you, me either. I was <laughs> feeling pretty dumb, but it's cool that they're producing something together. That, that's a good creative team, right? Uh, sure. I think. 
speaking of good creative teams, these segues are just, whew. uh, Aline <laughs> Brosh McKenna and two of her crazy ex-girlfriend writers are teaming up and, uh, Paramount has already signed off on this. It's going to be a female driven comedy set in the world of law enforcement. Will it be a musical? It better be. Yeah. So oh man, that'd be great. But, I want like um, a Miranda warning song. Yeah. The thing is, I don't know if the writers that she is doing this with are, any of the people involved with music like that's mostly coming from rachel and like two of her male friends so and these were all women so i don't know if this is necessarily a musical comedy mm-hmm. but it better be yeah. and it sounds good either way uh we finally got uh two final pieces of news one is that there's new steven universe episodes Yay! coming back April Hallelujah. 9th. do we know how many do we know for how long no, no. of course <laughs> cartoon network uh, I saw you, you know the meme with the like prove me wrong guy in the booth yeah in the mug I saw one that was like Cartoon Network execs and it was like Teen Titans Go is the best show we have prove me wrong oh my gosh it's like partic- like oh it's like it hurts yeah it's just too true it's 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 like when you see Americans abroad and they're fulfilling every stereotype of American abroad and you're just like. Cartoon Network is doing the same thing with that stupid Teen Titans Go show. Right. <sighs> I don't even know any children who watch it. Neither I do I. And I, I know children in the demographic that they're going for. <laughs> they have to be chasing ratings, though. Like, there mm-hmm. has to be a reason they're making these decisions. I- execs don't, like, care that much about what's airing. So someone has to be just, oh, Teen Titans Go does well. I have to think that, right? <sighs> sure. There has to- Some uh, logic, please. <clears throat> And uh, the final piece of news, this is just more like my own personal taste. I've been keeping up with the detective comics from DC. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, James Tinian is finishing up his run with it, which has been very Batwoman focused. It's been awesome. There's been complicated dynamics and moral ambiguity <laughs> and daddy issues. It's great. Uh, but that's coming to an end, I believe, in May for him. And Brian Hill is going to be taking over tech. Uh, that's a He's a black comic writer who's uh, done a, a number of things and apparently is going to involve a Batman Black Lightning team up. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, those characters kind of belong together, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, Black Lightning in the comics stores uh, serves on that team who's escaping my name right now. It was a team formed by Batman, and like uh, Dick was on the team for a while and stuff like that too. So it is a very logical team up in a lot of ways, and I think it would be pretty cool to read it. So I'm really excited about that. I was originally like so upset Tinian was ending his run because he did such a good job and he has such a good grasp of the characters. Mm. But this this could you know I'm definitely sticking on with it. Uh, so if you want to jump on to Detective Comics, consider picking it up. I guess in May after Batman Eternal or whatever the current arc is called ends. And that will be a good jumping on point for you. Nice. And watch Black Lightning the show because it is awesome. So good. I can't believe how good it is, That's honestly. Great. That good use of science. We could talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. But on that note, let's jump into our first segment all about science. And and yeah, that's 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 that uh, transition music. Uh-huh. <laughs> are like albino polar bears drinking milk in a snowstorm. Okay, so science fiction kind of always has science in it, right? But then you have the kind of two big divisions within science fiction classically, hard science fiction and soft science fiction, where like in soft science fiction, usually science kind of takes the place of magic in fantasy you know it's kind of something that's there in the background that always takes more of a backseat to social commentary character development that kind of thing but in hard science fiction there's always a very concerted effort to explain the science and the science is usually more the point of the story right Mm -hmm. and i think we usually mostly almost at least 90% talk about soft science fiction in our milieu. Right. (laughs) And that's when you get to the kind of like, I can't believe it's not science stuff. And if the story is strong enough, like you never really care about it. Right. Like in black Panther, like what's vibranium? (laughs) Why can it do everything? Like you don't care. It's not important. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And 
even though vibranium is clearly a ridiculous concept, <laughs> yeah, the way it was used in a visual storytelling medium specifically was really clever. Like the way you could see how T'Challa's suit was storing the kinetic energy and how that was explained. The way you understood, like, you know, how the suit popped out of his necklace. So then, you know, when the other suit activates, you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, you know, even just uh, Shuri's weapons that she was blasting and, like, how that works where she could temporarily, like, disable a suit with it yeah. and stuff like that. It, it all felt consistent and in the realm of realism. And it was just funny because, you know, it's obviously magic like, yeah well because the point right. the point of vibranium isn't that it's an actual explanation or anything the point is that vibranium is what makes wakanda what it is right right what right. makes but it when, different socially from the rest of the world and when ross was like oh i've been cured by magic and sherry goes it's not magic it's science <laughs> and it's like well okay like yeah yeah like the, that point. arthur c i think it was an arthur c clark quote i may be misquoting where he says that like anything sufficiently advanced looks like magic and like, even if like you were to go back like you know 50 years and take out your smartphone you know people would be like what you doing oh my god right yeah, but even just the fact that black panther gave mm-hmm. us a scientist who didn't want someone wearing like flip-flops in her lab yeah that's <laughs> that's a great stride um gretchen since you saw a wrinkle in time you know that's sciencey yeah um yeah i think it has a very similar feel to it like because the wrinkle in time relies on this idea of being able to travel. I mean, it's space time travel. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not really time travel, but you are traveling across like space and time. Um, and you're never given a full explanation of like how it works. Like you're given like a very soft explanation that if you don't care about having, um, you know, a lot of specific details, you're like, oh, okay, fine. Um, I think it's slightly more detailed in the book, but even then you're like, this is clearly not real, but it sounds like it could be like it. It sounds cool. Even if, even if that could never happen. Um, it's like that Octavia Butler uh, wrote a novel called Kindred where the main character, um, goes back in time and it just kind of like happens. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) You know, like she wishes upon a star or something. Right. Yeah. Like being able to tesser is like, which is the, you know, the mechanic of like traveling across space and time instantaneously, um, is like talked about as both like science, but also kind mm-hmm. of magical. It's like, it's a very interesting, um, like almost like magical realism hmm. thing, even though it is like also science because, um, doctor and doctor, like the doctors Murphy, um, uh, the parents who are both, uh, scientists, like they're both scientists, like they're just different kinds of scientists. Um, but right. like, um, the mother, she's like a, more of like an atomic, um, I don't think they ever actually label what she is, but like doctor, like the, the dad is more of like a theoretical. So you have like a hard science and a soft science, like people married to each other and um i mean it all takes place within like supposedly this is science fiction but it's also magical so yeah, yeah it fits right. very well in the like soft science fiction like yeah you could have this you could basically rewrite the story and just make it magic and it would make just as much sense i'm trying to think of other um time travel narratives because back to the future is kind of coming to mind when you're saying all this particularly back to the future too mm. which obviously like doc's science is not really anything like yeah, no it's it's, it's, it's a fucking car <laughs> it's a car and yeah. if it goes fast enough yeah you need you need same- energy and you need the fluxing flux capacitor thing and then you can travel through time right and it's obviously ridiculous but mm-hmm. at the same time especially the back to the future too it's fairly good speculative science fiction right in this regard and in predicting like what would exist then i mean we've got the hoverboards now so we don't (laughs) we do they're great julia don't say anything against it they have wheels on them (laughs) no but i think you know that's that's a one where there's scientific babble but it's kind of so clearly ridiculous and his character is presented as ridiculous that you're not really supposed to take it quite literally i think it's almost kind of like the way that we interact with like most people at least interact with science even today like 
you know, most of us don't understand how most of the technology we use actually works. So if you just kind of project that into like, you know, a science fiction, a science fiction setting, people will have no problem with it. Just like, oh, this thing works somehow and characters use it. Right. Right. (laughs) And it's just like our microwave. Right. I've got so many examples of like bad uses of science that these, Mm. that the stronger uses of science are. I mean, like the thing, the thing about like hard science fiction in order to make it anything, you really have to know what you're doing. Like you have mm-hmm. to really know the science stuff, right? So do you have an example in Star Trek? No. <laughs> Star Trek would be a horrible example. Yeah. I mean, like the thing about like a like basically the science in Star Trek is like a magical system, right? Like the good use of it in Star Trek, I mean there's all sorts of examples where it's horrible, but like you have a consistent kind of like I can't believe it's not science system. Like with the, with, you know, warp speed and how it, it warps the space. Like you're propelled through space because the space is moving and not the actual ship. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, things like subspace and like it all kind of like makes sense, but doesn't really have anything to do with actual science. Right. And, or like the and, transporter, like the transporter, mm-hmm. like is yeah. consistent, even if you're like, eh, I don't really know if that's how it would work. Yeah, and but, like reassembling your molecules in your brain with that kind of accuracy is like really that that's the most terrifying thing I've ever heard in my life. Yep. Um but, or even like, you know, um the system in altered carbon where they have like they they you can basically like download your consciousness between like different bodies, different clones of yourself. And it's consistent and they kind of they're kind of very like very careful about explaining exactly like, the way the, the information is transferred and how it can be lost and things like that. But it's still like, like just like the complexity of the whole thing is so kind of like terrifying, you know, mm. <laughs> like you're, you're downloading your consciousness kind of like, you know, multiple times a day in between bodies and like across different solar systems. And you're just like, that is terrifying. And I don't think it would work. Like, there's just so many things that can go wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I actually was thinking about Steven Universe a lot um, mm-hmm. when I was planning this episode. Because Steven Universe is science-heavy in the way that, like, you know, you've got Peridot, you've got space travel. Uh, kind of that whole immaculate system of colonization by homeworld is very scientifically derived. I mean, it's obviously like a it's little industrial. bit, ri- right? Like it's a little ridiculous, you know, that rubies can fly in eyeballs through space and like hmm. shit like this. Like it's, it's not particularly realistic, but I think it's a similar thing to what you're talking about with Star Trek, where it's sort of like magical, but it's, you can wrap your mind around it. It's fe- it feels feasible in a way that it it probably isn't. And just just that there's Peridot existing who kind of talks through the more technical aspects of things. And and uh Pearl too, you know, they have that like robot fight, right? Where they're both proving <laughs> that they can they're both proving their scientific competence. Yeah. yeah. And I that is like I don't know. I think that's a little bit rare that it's like actually a good focus that there can actually be multiple scientists in a group cuz it's it's always like there's the one scientist, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about and that. Then, <laughs> yeah. Oh, we'll talk about that. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just, I feel like Star, like Steven Universe does really well overall with this and with generally presenting science in an attractive way, but mm. obviously in a way that's also quite speculative. Right. Yeah. I'm just thinking about like films, especially where like science fiction is the focus. Like you think about the difference between like something like Jurassic Park and something like 2001 a space odyssey like jurassic park the science is kind of glossed over and it's all very like plausible i mean like i know that it's more complicated than that but it's it's very like you know we've extracted this dna from this and then we've cloned it in this this and this and this and there's the consequences of that and it's kind of glossed mm-hmm. over then you get on with the story and like 2001 a lot of the focus is precisely on like the practical details of how things would work Right. Like, Mm, like, you know, how would the flight attendant (laughs) move around in a zero gravity environment? You know, like there's, there's a lot of focus on those kind of details. And like, if you wanted to make, to do like interplanetary travel, like what exactly would be the details of that? Like, what would your daily life be like? You know, have like, 
you know, what kind of technology would you have to use in order to make that possible? And what is the consequence of that? And to defend Jurassic Park, not that it needs much defense, Mm -hmm. but I think Jurassic Park, you know, sure, the science aspect of, okay, how are there dinosaurs again? That was kind of like, get it done with. But then the way that dinosaurs were portrayed, I think, at least in okay, terms, I'm like, still a little salty about the fact that the raptors in Jurassic World still aren't fully fully plumaged, even though we know yes, now that yes. we didn't then that raptors were fully plumaged. Like fully plumaged yes. means like like a bird. Raptors had feathers all over their bodies. Yep. And that would have been just so fucking cool to see. You could explain yeah, it away with like from DNA, like, sure. you know? <laughs> but right. right. We didn't we didn't <sighs> know this, you know, thirty yeah. years ago with the first. But for the fir- for the first one specifically, mm-hmm. I think you know just the behavior yeah. of the dinosaurs. I mean, they were was- just these hawking things. You've got T Rexes like sprinting in that. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I just uh, I I feel like they're both good uses of science, even mm-hmm. though I mean they definitely like did their best in Jurassic Park, like with the information that they had sure. at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure, but yeah, you're right. It's definitely you know 2001: <coughs> Space Odyssey is specifically mm-hmm. about science. I'd say Apollo 13 was obviously about well, science, Apollo 13 too. was like based on actual events. It's a little different. Yeah. And it was very It's not well really done science fiction. It's more just science. It was a period piece, really. Mm, a scientific period piece. Mm-hmm. But you don't even get a lot of those. Yeah. No. No. Um, I don't know. Good uses of science are boring to talk about, aren't they? Because <laughs> it's just with some well. I don't know. Gretchen, do you watch Doctor Who where you're able to talk about that science at all? Uh, I don't keep up with it currently. And it's definitely, yeah. I mean, it's. More in the realm of Star Trek. I, I think the science in Doctor Who is, uh, to quote Star Trek, like, it's so far above us as we are from the Amoeba that, like, it's just incomprehensible. Like, the way that Time Lords use science is just so right. beyond us that there's, like, and they might never as well really, be magic. Right. And they, they never bother to explain it. I really. mean, sometimes you're just like, you know, the TARDIS is kind of its own kind of pocket universe or whatever but like basically it's all just like oh it's bigger on the inside and you just kind of yeah okay right you just kind of roll with it yeah i will say i do want to just say something very nice quickly about adventure time where i think that's one example of a multidisciplinary scientist being used well because I mean, obviously, Princess Bubblegum's kind of a ridiculous character in many many ways (laughs) she's sentient gum and she creates life out of candy. Makes sense. And, you know, that whole universe, it's like there's a breakfast world <laughs> with like, a pancake princess. I mean, it's, it's not exactly meant to be realistic in any way. Mm-hmm. But to the writing's credit, like, Bubblegum is always coming from a place of scientific inquiry and testing hypotheses. And, you know, sure, she can do a bunch of things that no one should be able to do, but she's at least consistent with that. She shows a disdain for magic. Uh, when she sort of discovers that she has elemental powers, like that's, she has like a breakdown about it, basically. And it's just, it's well done that there's, there's at least the focus that there's that scientific sort of mindset mm-hmm. that she inhabits and it shows that consistently and that's not nothing at all even if the science itself is you know she shoots gumdrops out of her hand and mm. right stuff about, right i just really like adventure time <laughs> you just like princess bubblegum <laughs> i you know she's like asleep in her lab with glasses on like mumbling incoherencies mm. and then she built a robot of herself because she didn't want to date she's like here they could just date this robot <laughs> fine. oh that makes perfect sense to me <sighs> yeah you know what I'd like to do now? What? Try to take over the world. Oh, God, with Doomsday Devices? Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, let's transition into our fun segment. Doomsday! <laughs> Doom! I don't like relaxing. I like science. So, for our fun segment, we're going to talk about Doomsday Devices. My favorite plot device ever (laughs) there's sarcasm in that if you can't tell oh man i really well and mostly it has to do with the hundred because it's been so poorly executed on that show but also (laughs) i just think i think doomsday devices are like cheap and lazy like 
they're such lazy plot devices to be like, I'm going to destroy literally everything. Like, who's going to pull the trigger on that? And if you actually do pull the trigger on a doomsday device, it and then try and say that it's not actually the end of the world, like, that's, you're full of shit. Like, <laughs> like the hundred. If you're going to, like, if you're going to have a nuclear apocalypse, like, literally, like, all of, all of the nuclear, you know, facilities in the world are having a global meltdown. Like, I don't care what kind of special blood the female protagonist has. Like, she's literally not going to survive. Like, no one survives oh that. And there's not going to be some magical valley that, like, the death wave, like, jumped over. And so you found this pocket of, like, pristine, you know, earth that people can survive in and fight over. Like, that's, that, you're full of shit. It's dumb. <laughs> Is that the premise? Yeah, that's the premise of season five. But there's this, like, Jesus. pristine, like, valley that the death wave, like, jumped over and didn't destroy. Was there and an now, energy field of some kind? No. I'm sure it's, I'm sure they're it never going to, to explain it. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it, like, the death wave is, like, linear. It goes in a straight line across the earth, and there was this valley, and it just, like, skimmed the top of it, so everything... Below it in the valley survived. You know what's a thing that they do in Star Trek? They have vaccinations yeah. against radiation. That's what that reminds me of. But that would have been useful. Right. Which that that makes literally sense. makes no sense if you know what radiation is. Right. And the more you know about radiation, the less it makes sense. You're like, how do I vaccinate against like <laughs> light waves? Yeah. Like yeah, Julia, growing up as a Polish immigrant in the 80s, or in Poland in the 80s, yeah. you weren't just inoculated against they all that? They made you It's one of my earliest memories, actually. Ew. Jesus oh, Christ. that sounds awful. Yeah. Gross. I, I was screaming. It's a little intense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, Julia's tragedies aside, uh, I think, like... Uh, the thing with doomsday devices is, is it's such an overused trope. And like Gretchen said, who would actually pull the trigger on this? Right. And Matt Scientist. Yes. And if you know anything about the Star Wars extended canon that doesn't exist anymore, you'll know that like every single EU book, I guess it's the extended universe, every single EU book was basically doomsday in some way. Because once you introduce the concept of the Death Star into mm-hmm. the universe... Every single author wants to one up that somehow. Yep. So you just get countless, countless, countless machines that can destroy planets, like Starkiller Base. Yes, like Starkiller Base. I mean, why did the Death Star like kind of sort of work as a concept, but like Starkiller Base kind of made you giggle? Is it just a stupid name? (laughs) I mean, Death Star. Death Star is a pretty stupid name. Yeah. I think part of it is that. By the time you had Starkiller Base, we'd already had two Death Stars. Mm-hmm. So you're just like, I roll. You're like, oh, okay. Come on. We have to have another giant, you know. But it's bigger and better. At least the one in Jedi was not completed. I mean, that thing's not operational, but it wasn't <laughs> completed, yeah. you know. I mean, the first Death so Star like, took like 20 years to build, right? Right. Yeah, and the second one like required very specific shields for protection. So it was more just like the concept of, oh, this capacity is going to exist again, rather than here's the Death Star flying around. I don't know. Star Killer Base was hilarious. Yeah. I can't explain why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I kind of I like the idea that they actually built it into a planet rather than like building a planet, which is just like the more you think about it, the more stupid it is. <laughs> That's why I liked uh, the Arl Knots parody with Laser Moon, and it's just a laser tag. Like, why would you, like, just, like, the amount, I know, I understand they have a galaxy to draw from, but, like, the amount of resources, just, like, think of how much, like, steel you're talking about. Like, you would have to, like, so, squeeze all the steel out of, like, several <laughs> planets to do this. Yep. I, I think it is a question of saturation in the movies, though. You can have a Death Star once but when you just keep going back to that as like the most terrifying thing to me and and gretchen i think you talked about this too with last jedi the dreadnought seemed far more terrifying Mm -hmm. yep yep just because you know it was right there it could move right and it's got giant cannons it's a fleet killer yeah it's a fleet like that is a more yeah because once you i think it's a matter of scale like once you start scaling up that large um it just becomes absurd. Yeah. Um, especially because in our world, 
like in real life, like some of the deadliest things aren't actually that large. Um, yeah. And so the idea of like, well, it has to be really big in order to be terrifying is just like eventually like, yeah, I that's mean, like, just going to get ridiculous. Like the, the most terrifying things are usually like biological weapons, you know? Right. Like right. diseases that can wipe out entire populations. Like you, there's nothing you can do about it at all. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because a franchise that's a huge fan of Doomsday Devices is James Bond. (laughs) And Moonraker is probably one of the finest examples of a Doomsday where there's this guy, Hugo Drax, who is not at all subtly Hitler. And he's in space trying to create the perfect race of people who are all like strapping Aryans. It's like this movie has absolutely no subtlety. (laughs) And what he's planning on doing is releasing a deadly toxic plant that's going to wipe out all of humanity. And he's releasing it in like three different orbs or something like that. And Bond has to jump in a ship and stop it. And then he has sex as he's orbiting. Of course. Yeah. yeah. And it's like Jaws and this like little girl with pigtails are also in love and they're trying to join the perfect race of people. I, I, you have to watch. I mean, Moonraker. the only good thing about Moonraker is the- that it was just like when the space shuttle was becoming a thing and they're yeah. just like trying to explore basically so the, jumping yeah, like the potential of the space shuttle, which like they didn't do any of that shit. How could they not weaponize a space shuttle? Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, it's exactly what you would think from Roger Moore mm. doing space exploration. Yeah. Um, his Bond girl was an American astronaut named Holly Goodhead. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, but what I love the most about Runemaker is it came right after The Spy Who Loved Me, which was another movie with another Doomsday device in it. And this time it was, I forget his name. It was just some villain with webbed fingers and he wanted to wipe out humanity on earth and live below the sea in atlantis oh my god yeah. <laughs> okay so there was this episode of star trek uh deep space nine that the clearly superior star trek series uh called our man bashir which w- when dr bashir had this james bond fantasy and he was like in the holodeck but then like the holodeck safeties got turned off and everything yeah. but yeah there was the evil villain named dr noah and his plan was to make all the volcanoes erupt so the earth would shrink and then the ocean would rise and like flood everything except for the top of Mount Everest where he and his perfect race of scientists were. <laughs> mm-hmm. So continuing on to our thing with bad uses of science. <laughs> but oh Stromberg, by the way, Stromberg is the Bond villain's mm-hmm. name in The Spy Who Loved Me, I just remembered. And he is like 80 years old and it is the least exciting takedown of a villain I think I've ever seen. <laughs> However, I love James Bond Doomsdays because it's just so fucking bad and so over the top. Uh, another use of Doomsday is like every episode of Dexter's Lab. Mm. Phineas and Ferb. Jimmy Neutron. I mean, Phineas and Ferb is only trying to take over the tri-state area, not destroy the world, but. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love Phineas and Ferb though. <laughs> so I, why are like kids shows so much better at Doomsday devices? Because they don't is take them seriously. You- Right. Yeah. Well, I think that's why James Bond works is because they don't, it's not serious. <laughs> I guess there's people taking it seriously. Right. But like, you don't, you're not supposed to take that seriously when you watch James Bond. At least I don't think so. I, ho- I hope not. Except I can't for, imagine I think, watching I feel a James like Bond movie earnestly. That's one of the problems with the Daniel Craig versions though, is that they yes. want to take themselves and, and they want other people to take them seriously. And like that, you're missing the point of James Bond though. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, it's not sometimes really serious. Mean, kind movie. of like Casino Royale. Honestly, yeah. like James Bond can only really continue to work as a James Bond film if it's parody. At this point, mm-hmm. there's no way that you can like produce something as campy as Roger Moore and have it be like in any way good. That's just not the character. The character is innately ridiculous. Yeah, right. I mean, like just like think about what that character goes through and all the like physical and psychological trauma that would entail, you know, like if you want to do James, yes. like real James Bond, it's going to be fucking dark. He has his, uh, he has his vodka. It's fine. Yeah. But yeah, I guess my, my main question is obviously this trope is very hard to take seriously, but is there a time that it can work earnestly? It worked in Dr. Strangelove, which was a comedy. But okay. was like like the power of that movie was that it was so plausible. Mm. 
the one example I can think of, and I'm sorry to dip back into detective comics, is in one of the newer arcs, the League of Shadows had a nuclear bomb buried beneath Gotham City, and it was like going to trigger up a fault line too. And the stakes did feel real because the League of Shadows are just, they're they're basically suicidal. They just want to take out as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. So that worked, but it's also, you know, comic book superhero genre. Yeah. Right? So you kind of need those stakes every once I in mean, a like, while. I mean, like, with Doctor Strange Love, like, the idea was that the entire, like, concept of, you know, building up a nuclear arsenal as a deterrent and everything like that, and mutual destruction, that idea is so ridiculous, like, just at its core. You know, it's kind of like the whole thing with like, oh, you have a gunman, so the solution is to put more guns into the situation and then everything will be solved, right? Like, like, just that, that idea is so ridiculous that the only way to really explore it is from a comedic perspective. But Mm. like, the consequences are so deadly serious. The cluster in Steven Universe was always treated seriously. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that's really a doomsday device so much as a doomsday scenario. Mm, but right. so what's the difference know. between a doomsday device and doomsday scenario exactly the presence of a mad scientist i guess yeah is that it i think i mean yeah. i think like with a doomsday device there's an intention to destroy the world but like even like in dr strange love like nobody wanted to destroy the world it's just they created this situation where it was kind of inevitable that they eventually would mm, right right I wonder if that was commentary. On yeah. Anything. I'm thinking about like things like, you know, World War, <laughs> this hurts me to say World War Z, <laughs> you know, like where you have like, you know, like the zombie apocalypse kind of sort of feels inevitable when it's done well, mm. you know, like when <clears throat> you eventually this would happen <laughs> like one day. I, I do not like zombie stuff. No, I, don't know I mean, like I, I kind of like it can be done well. Like, think of, like, the the movie of World War Z and the novels. <laughs> You'll see the difference. So, how about this? If you guys can think of a good use of doomsday mm-hmm. devices, let us know in the comments. But we can think of a lot of bad uses of them, and we can think of a lot of bad uses of science in general. And that's going to be our last segment that we will jump into right now. I didn't think there were any seasons in space. As far as you're concerned, only winter. Alright, so for our final segment, we are going to talk about the less successful depictions of science and media. My mind immediately jumps to Fitzsimmons <laughs> and S.H.I.E.L.D. with their stupid holograms, but I don't know about I mean, it's not so much like, like their stupid holograms, right? First of all, like Fitzsimmons as characters, like, I kind of love them. But, like, there's this kind of, especially when you have, like, this kind of, you know, squad scenario where you have, like, you know, the tank and the plants and all that stuff. Like, you have the designated science person. In this case, it happens to be two people. But whatever. Every time you have any well, kind one, of science problem, they have the expertise to solve it. And that yeah, cause, is ridiculous. Well, Simmons is the, like, biological science side of things. Yeah. And Fitz is the techie side of things. And then Sky's the, or I'm sorry, Daisy is the hacker. Yeah. Right? So. And Simmons is also other- magically, like, a medical doctor as well? Yeah. <laughs> she, she has a she has two PhDs. That explains everything. Yeah, that's why she can do medicine. It's something like that. <laughs> I mean, there are... Oh, man. I mean, we, of course, they wanted to be played covered. by, like, a 20-something, so why not? <laughs> right, we haven't even covered, like, medic tropes. Because uh, there's so many just all-purpose medics. I'm thinking of Lost, where Jack's appendix is removed by Juliet, who is a fertilization specialist, with the help of Bernard, a dentist. <laughs> and it's like, well, yeah, he knows stuff about anesthesia, at least, right? What? I think that was the whole thing. Like, he knows about anesthesia if he's a dentist. Yeah, and then Jack was still trying to like micromanage it. But and then Jack, Jack was like, I mean, at least like they understood in that situation that there's a difference between like a physician and a surgeon, right? But, but like, I'm, I'm thinking of. It was one of the, um, it was one of the, oh my god, X-Files movies. I want to believe the one with, um, the one was basically Monster of the Week, but a movie. Um, where they had Scully as a doctor in a hospital who was looking after children with cancer. But then all of a sudden she was suggesting like radical stem cell therapy 
and actually like injecting a syringe full of stem cells into a patient. And you're just like, what's her job? (laughs) Is she the kids? Is she an oncologist? Is she like a family practitioner? Like, is she a surgeon? Like what's going on? Is, um, Gretchen, is Clark's medical expertise relatively consistent in the hundred? Um, except for the fact that she couldn't save someone with a belly wound. Oh, right. I mean, like, the idea is that, like, her, like, she's basically, like, equivalent of a paramedic, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, she's, yeah, she's more of, like, a field, like, emergency. Yeah. Yeah. See, that would have been better for Jack and Lost, but no, they made him a surgeon, and all of a sudden he's, like, delivering babies. Well, like, like most okay. most people would, like, you know, like, like a nurse could deliver a baby, like. I guess. Either way, Bernard helping with yeah. the appendectomy is still my favorite thing. Fucking Lost. <laughs> um, okay, so my, my favorite bad use of science, and I'm not sure... I think Gretchen might agree with me on this, is um the ending of Supergirl oh my gosh. season two. <laughs> where Lena and We're just gonna like, spray Car just lead decide into the to air. Leave. <laughs> right? Like Oh, the Daxamites are allergic to lead. Let's just spray lead. <laughs> Isn't Supergirl also allergic to lead? No. No. no? Just Daxamites. No, she she can't see through it. Uh. But that's like lead line stuff. But it's like, not like particular. Well, it's okay. I mean, everybody will just like, like human know, beings like yeah. get lead poisoning. I mean, it's not right. at all a huge issue. It's fine. No, and then in season three, like there were kids getting lead poisoning, and Lena is like, "No, I tested my scenario, and the humans weren't susceptible to lead." But you what? can't really like change lead to make it not lead. Okay, like lead poisoning is like. A giant issue. Like, people are talking about, like, just more and more how a huge deal lead poisoning is. And they just kind of, what? Yep. It's just, this was their solution to stop the invasion. Let's just contaminate everything. I mean, they did, they did a similar thing, um, in V, the original V series, where, like, they had this kind of, like, red powder. I forget the details. It was a while since I watched it. And, like, the climax was all these people going on hot air balloons and distributing it into the air, and so the visitors would go away. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, that's sure something. Yeah, but they, like, developed a vaccine, so, like, the good guy visitors would be fine. <laughs> Just, I don't know. Supergirl in general. Mm-hmm. God, DC TV tech is just... I mean, at least in, um, in Black Lightning, it hasn't really broken any sort of realism yet, but, like... <laughs> Felicity on Arrow is kind of objectively ridiculous. Most of the solutions, most of the technological solutions in Supergirl. I think my favorite part is that um, before Wynn joined uh, the DEO, like they just didn't have a designated computer guy to do surveillance and stuff. And he's he's just able to hack into everything. In fact, hackers in general, I feel like we could do an entire segment <laughs> on just bad use of hacking. There is one time Felicity on Arrow hacked where she was like against another hacker or something. Yeah, that's when it and gets ridiculous sent- when you just have people like banging away at the keyboard. <laughs> yeah, and she sent a power surge through a hack that blew the other guy at the co- other computer across the room. Well, and all the Russians are taking over nuclear power plants or something, so maybe it's not too perfect. Yeah. Like, like CSI and CIS, they're all famous for the, just these horrible hacking scenes. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, um, I think it was NCIS that had two hackers using one keyboard and you're just like what 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 the fuck are you doing yeah it was just two people using one keyboard to hack um and it's like playing the piano realistically yeah and realistically you're not frantically typing as a hacker you're like letting a program run and letting like algorithms go uh there's this one amazing clip from bones where like i they're hacking against each other and it's like oh they're they're going to know where we are and it's just these like, ridiculous like we're vaulting over the firewall but now they're locking us in on our you know <laughs> locking the door behind us what? <laughs> and, and then they're like oh they're gonna find out where we are can you stop them i can slow them down and then one person sends cat pictures i can't make this shit up what it's really oh, I bad remember it's what, really what bad. you're talking about i used to watch bones 
Yeah, I'll uh, I'll link that clip because it's called like the most realistic hacking scene ever, <laughs> I think, on YouTube. So I'll link that. And then the other thing I will link is a parody. So I don't know if anyone's ever heard of NSTFSDSUV. Nope. It's a parody of like CSI and NCIS shows by the same people who did Party Down and Burning Love. Hmm. And there's just it's also got um Red from Orange is the New Black. What's her name? Uh oh my god, I'm blanking. She was Captain in Star Jane Trek. Ray. Yes. Kate Mulgrew. Yes. Thank you. Um, she's in it too. But there's this one scene where they're like, they're just talking in this most ridiculous techno babble about how they have to like find it. So then, uh, the person who played Julie Grisselwhite, uh, is like, Oh, dear. There's a naked baby. <laughs> The person who played Julie Grisselwhite, uh, Di- June Diane Raphael, she's like trying to find out information. So they have a picture of someone. She's like, stop. And she's like giving the computer program, stop, frisk. And it's like showing the like papers light up in his pocket. Remove it. Enhance. 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 <laughs> enhance. 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 And then she like reads the note in his pocket. And the concept of just enhancing to find yeah. anything out is ridiculous. I mean, they, they make fun of that in Futurama that. where like if it's like, that's the resolution we have. <laughs> You can't enhance it. Um, so Julia, by the way, I meant to tell you, cause I was doing a little bit of research for this episode. They brought in a scientist to consult on Thor 1. Okay. To make Jane realistic. And then Thor 2 happened. With her science machine? <laughs> no, no. My machine can't create portals. It can only detect portals. I mean, okay. <sighs> She's running around detecting <laughs> portals with her science box. Oh, man. So, um, um, for some reason that I don't quite understand, you put Star Trek in the good section. I would like to t- tell know. you that Star Trek belongs mostly in the bad section for two reasons. First of all, they do not understand how black holes work. Second of all, quantum. Mm. Did you hear quantum? Yes. That's What about quantum? You here? just put quantum on something and... Then it's sciencey, right? Right. So you just have like quantum interferometrical particle rays that will pulsate through the plasma decoy field. Mm-hmm. And that's the solution to the problem in the episode. Well, let me ask you something based on that. Do you take issue with Star Wars? Like <sighs> the thing about Star Wars is that like, you know, the people have called it science fantasy, right? Like, Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, because Star Trek is kind of the idea is that it's all techy and sciencey and, you know, the writer puts tech in the script and then scientists fill it in or whatever. But like, you can kind of tell that's bullshit. <laughs> but in Star Trek, I mean, in Star Wars, like, it's fine. Like, the force is magic and that's fine. Well, not the force. I'm talking like light speed. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, light or- speed. The characters have to get across the galaxy. It's fine. Okay, well, they're laser blasters, like, lasers fire at the speed of light. It would not look like it looks, you know? There's just, like, a lot of little details about Star Wars that don't make any well, sense. Well, there's noise in space, like too. If- like, <laughs> I mean, you can yeah. count on one hand the amount of, like, popular science fiction that doesn't have I, I mean, sound I, in space. I was going to say, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me in yeah. Star Wars. I don't go to a Star Wars film expecting scientific accuracy. But, like, Star Trek kind of has, like, the veneer sometimes of scientific accuracy. Like, like, they put together all these science-sounding words. And it's not really to, like, actually explicate something scientific. It's just kind of to sound impressive. Yep. Right? Yep. But, like, when they try to explain something, like, sometimes it's so, like, face-palming. Like, there's this episode, uh, like, a very early episode of Voyager. I forget the name, but, like, they talk about there being a crack in an event horizon as though like an event horizon or an actual physical thing and not just like the answer to like an equation, right? Cause like the event horizon is basically like the point around a black hole after which, you know, you can't escape from the black hole anymore. So it's just like, basically like it's, it's not an actual physical thing. It's not like something you can crack. It's not something you can, you like, you know, punch a hole through and go, like, they basically, like, they literally punch a hole through the event horizon and go through it. Like, that's not how it works. It's it's an imaginary line, basically. It's like, it's like, you know, like the, like, if I draw a line around my house, 
And like, that's how far I can run in 15 minutes. Right. And it's not a perfect circle because like, you know, this direction, there's a hill and that direction it's like, you know, through sure. a field. So, but like, there's this line around my house. That's like the distance I can run in 15 minutes. That's an event horizon is. And like, there's no way I can like put like a crack or like a hole in that line so I can run further in 15 minutes. That just doesn't make any sense conceptually. <laughs> and they do that stuff all the time. <laughs> Yep. Like really people is. think it's not a wrinkle. Or like they talk it. about like, you know, going like under the black hole or something like that. And you're just like, no, that's not how it works. And, uh, and they put like these kind of like concepts together, like with time travel and with like black holes, with dark matter. Like they talk about like dark matter, like, like asteroids made out of dark matter sometimes. And you're just like, okay. I, what? That's not a real thing. Guys. No. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, I love Star Trek. Um, but bad science. Yeah, like I love Star Trek the way that, like, you know, I love particular members of my family. Jesus Christ, dude! <laughs> you know, <laughs> I love them, well, but I'm not blind to their flaws, and those flaws are sometimes substantial. <laughs> let me just briefly talk about some hilariously bad uses of science in James Bond because beyond doomsday devices they kind of made Pierce Brosnan like the sciencey James Bond not like he's sciencey but he was around sciencey things so his first movie was Goldeneye and the concept there is that there's a satellite that fires electromagnetic pulses uh-huh. and and it targets a certain area and then for some reason it made like everything blow up when it hit I I don't know why that was the case but it's such overkill for anything. So the bad guy's idea is to hijack a GoldenEye satellite, rob the London bank, and then fire the EMP to destroy the trace of the crime, which is like the most overkill I think anyone can ever be about anything. Uh, so, you know, we've got that element, but then it just like kept getting upped and upped in terms of the scientific ridiculousness. In The World Is Not Enough, we had nuclear physicists you know, Denise Richards <laughs> um, <laughs> walking around with like, it was, it was like half the atomic bomb. They're just like carrying it around. They're like holding this little ball and they're like, look, it's six kilos of weapons grade plutonium. It's like, if it's six kilos, you are not holding six it in kilos your of weapons grade plutonium. Yeah. Do you know how much plutonium that is? I think that's more plutonium that's ever been made in the universe. <laughs> Yeah, and they're just like casually holding it. Like, Look, six kilos. I'm like, I don't think that's what you think it is. And then in Die Another Day, in Die Another Day, the premise was that there was a Korean bad guy who was swapping his DNA to pose as a British mogul. Oh my god, this was something just... for some reason. And it's also the same James Bond movie where he's driving around in an invisible car, and John Cleese is his cue. <sighs> That totally okay, sounds like that's a parody not, of a James there's, Bond there's several, movie. There's tons. Like they measure plutonium in tons. Okay, that's fine. <sighs> Seemed like a lot. Yeah. So I just <laughs> I just had to give a shout out to the Pierce Brosnan and James Bonds, uh, which are just scientific babble. It's just so fucking ridiculous. Nuclear physicist Christmas Jones might be my favorite though. He's always wanted to have Christmas in Turkey. You know, I was wrong about you. <laughs> I thought Christmas only came once a year. Oh my gosh. That ends the movie. Oh my god, it's so bad. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That that was my bad list that I kind of quickly threw together. Can you guys think of anything else I left off this? Uh, a lot of crime shows. Oh god. Yeah, like with the friend, like um, forensics. forensics. Yeah, like there's like an actual like like juries expect basically like the quality of evidence that they have on like forensic shows, and like that's just not a thing, right? Right, or like the whole like. I need a DNA profile. Let me just stick it in this like machine and like Science 30 machine. seconds later, magically yeah. I have a DNA profile. Like that's not how it works, guys. <laughs> it takes like weeks. Mm-hmm. And, Jesus. and just like, is it the same yeah. kind of like the Fitzsimmons phenomenon? You have like the same person doing like all these different tasks that would be done by teams of people, which is, right. like, like you can kind of understand why they do that. Like in the context of like a TV drama, but like, I don't know. Yep. It's problematic. <laughs> I think I think my favorite is like CSI, where it's literally science porn, but none of it's remotely realistic. Oh yeah, you've you've got like the cool like techno seductive music in the yeah. background of them like I don't know 
getting swabs off a body. <laughs> Using a dropper <laughs> pipette is, to like transfer things into tubes. Right? Like this is erotic for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. All my times in my lab when I was like getting specimens ready for the scanning electron microscope, I wasn't like, oh yeah, the polishing, this is happening. Like it wasn't, <laughs> I just, I just don't know anyone who actually gets aroused by lab work. <laughs> Well, you gotta make I mean, it's the fluorescent lighting, though. you know? It's just so sexy. <laughs> like, we're just, you know, cutting into this alloy. Wow. <laughs> like, go off. Um, yeah, no, procedurals, I think, in general, when there's any kind of, like, scientific requirement to, like, learn something in it, I think always stumbles. Even even stuff like The Good Wife, when you've got Kalinda using her hacker skills or whatever it is, it's always it always just branches into this slight ridiculous where you think, wow, the show could have been a lot better if they just hadn't touched this at all. Yeah. I, I don't know. Anytime a hack is needed, I think my engagement just dies. It's like, we're, we're over, we're, we've got to overrun this. Although I will say, Black Panther with Killmonger's girlfriend hacking into the security footage was good. Like, well, you're right, because just, it never it was, became the focus. It was just like a thing yeah. that she did. I mean, that's the thing that's yeah, like very, like, it's just like she put the video on a loop. You know? <laughs> right. Bad. Like, it was not explained. It didn't require explanation. It was just a visual thing. We get it. We've, we're saturated enough with explaining how this happens. It's not like in, um, what, National Treasure, where you've got, you know, Nick Cage over explaining how to recreate a password by looking at what parts of the like keypad have oil on them. Yeah. Mm. Which is all I remember of National Treasure. So if there's better science in that, please correct me. <laughs> but yeah. Oh man. Any kind of like lasers in museums premise for science and like getting through lasers or disabling lasers, I think is inherently horrible. Yeah, I agree. Anyway, we're going to wrap it up uh, today. A little bit of a shorter episode for us, which is still over an hour. So, <laughs> yay. Uh, please do visit thefandamentals.com to keep appraised of what we're doing. I'm going to... Shit, what was the article that we thought of for me? It was if D&D adapted Fuller yes, House. That's what yeah. Yes. I think, I think I'm going to... I think I'm going to try to... Pull that one out. Uh, also, if you like this podcast, like us and review us and share us on social media. That's word of mouth is probably the best way to get anything out. Now that I think about it. Uh, yeah. If there's any topic you'd like to hear us talk about, by the way, uh, this is all, this is an open offer, but feel free to comment on our piece and suggest something because we're, we're always game to talk about stuff. Uh, uh huh. That's, that's about all I got today. Yep. Yes. So that with that very awkward outro, thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you guys next Goodbye, time. Goodbye, everyone. All right. Bye. Goodbye. After everything we've done for you, you can't introduce the segment? Science. (laughs) What is science? Oh, God. (laughs)